Father, we thank you for the peace there is in you and your presence. And as we focus on you and as we focus on what you have done in us and to us, God, when we, dis- when we begin to discover this life that we have hidden in you, it's, it's amazing and it's transforming and it changes us and it causes us to have your perspective and it causes us to live on this earth, God, according to your perfect will for us, God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy, unstopped, uninterrupted, God, and that's what we are aiming for. See, that's what I'm aiming for. I am aiming for constant righteousness, constant peace, constant joy. That's what we're aiming for, God. Nothing short of that, nothing less than that. So, God, here we are. Here we go. Thank you. All right. Today's message is titled, Boast and Take Pleasure. Say, Boast and Take Pleasure. pleasure. We're going to be talking about boasting today. (laughs) Boasting. Say, Boasting. Say it like that. Say, Boasting. (laughs) All right. All right, so let's go to uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> this, is our, this has been the main scripture that we've been looking at for the past five weeks. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. We'll st- we're going to start from verse 1. I'm going to read a bit. You guys ready? Are you ready? Aye, aye, Captain. All right. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, hallelujah, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul tells us in verse 2, he says, set your mind on things above and not things on the earth. Why? Because we've been raised, right? A few weeks ago, when we were talking, we, it was right after the week, uh, right after Easter, and we were talking about Mary Mary, right? Mary Mary went to Jesus' tomb, and they were looking for Jesus. And the angel, an angel appeared to them, and he says to them, Hey, I know why you came here. I know who you're seeking. And it makes logical and earthly sense that you'd come looking for him here. But he's not here. Why? Because you're earthly minded, right? Your mind is set on the things on the earth. You've missed the point of, about Jesus, all of the disciples missed, missed it, missed the point about Jesus. I mean, imagine these guys spent three years of their life with Jesus, spending every moment with Jesus, traveling with Jesus, eating with Jesus, sleeping with Jesus, right? Like, that's who they spent their time with, and they saw everything that Jesus did. And then they heard the gospel straight from his mouth, from Jesus. I mean, the gospel is about him and about everything that he's going to accomplish, right? Imagine him t- giving you the message and you missing it. I wouldn't say it was on Jesus. I mean, who can preach better than Jesus, right? He is the truth, and he was conveying the truth about himself, right? And he was doing this, and they missed it. Mary, Mary, that is Mary and Mary, the two different Marys, they missed it. 
And they were dis disappointed by the fact that he was put on the cross. But the whole time Jesus had been preaching to them that he would go to the cross. That he's about to save them and all of mankind. So the angel reminds them, he's not here. And he says, for he is risen. Amen. That's the good news. Jesus is not here for he is risen. Now, this is the same concept and logic that Paul applies here. He says, if then you were raised with Christ. That's the good news. When Jesus was raised, he made it possible for you and me to be raised. So the day you came and you said, I put my faith on Jesus, that day, in the same way that Jesus was raised from death, and that is spiritual death, you were raised from spiritual death. You found your resurrection. And you were taken up, and you are now seated in the heavenly places with Jesus, where he's seated. I told you that's my location on Facebook. It just says Ephesians 2.6. Because I'm not here. I am a spirit. It's an amazing thing. This is the truth. And the reason why we struggle so much in life is because we don't know who we are. If you don't know who you are, then you don't know where you are. Does that make sense? If you miss the truth, what is true about you, and you don't really get it, then anything that has to do with you, you will also have a wrong perspective of it. Does that make sense? That's why identity is everything. I know you guys are always, oh, identity, love. I hear you guys saying these things about me. But you know what? I love, I, I, that's all I'm going to preach because it's a, this whole Bible, it shows you who you are. The scriptures, is, they're there to teach us who we are. Is that right? That's what, that's what it's doing. And so if we know who we are, and if we have the right perspective about ourselves, then every single thing that has to do with us, that we come into, into contact with, right? Any situation, circumstance that we face, because it has to do with us, we will begin to have the right perspective about those things. And it is only when we have the right perspective about, the, about ourselves and the things around us that we can execute God's will for our lives, which is what? Constant righteousness, peace, and joy. Amen? So all of it is tied into you knowing who you are. We got to know who we are. Right? And so Paul here says something so big. He says, if you are raised with Christ, then you have no business whatsoever thinking according to this earth. Literally, that's what he's saying. It doesn't mean, you're, you're like, are you raised with Christ? He's like, and then he's like, okay, if you're raised with Christ, then why are you looking at life? Why are you looking at yourself? Why are you looking at your brothers and sisters who are in Christ according to the earth. You're supposed to be looking at everything according to God's perspective. Amen? And God's perspective shows him. His perspective is, oh, you're right here with me. You're seated with me. Can you believe that? Having a throne by the throne of God because you are a prince, because you're a princess, because you're a king, because you're a queen in the family of God. This is who we are. Isn't that amazing? And that's where we're seated. And God is like, yes, right now you are in a physical body on the earth. And I'm still in the process of delivering the physical realm into my perfect will. Right? And, and he's like, I need you to see things clearly. That's the only way you're going to be the expression of my kingdom. And be the expression of my will on earth. Amen? And so Paul says, set your mind on things above. Say, on things above. Not things on the earth. This will make us look foolish to every person that sees us. It, it, it really will. 
things look bad for you and, and situations look uh, just not hopeful at all, but you have hope. And you're like, like excited and looming with joy. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about you're pretending and putting up a fake smile. I'm talking about the real one, the real joy, as if nothing was wrong, right? Why? Because you have the right perspective. It will cause the world, and not just the world, but even your brothers and sisters in Christ who don't have the right perspective to see you as foolish. But that's how we overcome. That joy, amen, that joy is actually what's going to cause you to overcome that situation. And that joy comes when you have that right perspective. What, which perspective? When you have your mind on the things, not on the earth, not the circumstance, but where God is. Where God is, is where you are. Amen? And he tells you why. He says, because you died. He's saying the old spirit, the old you, who used to be one with this body and flesh, that you died, no longer exists. And now, he says, your life, the very essence of you, who you are, your spirit is hidden with Christ in God. And last week we saw how when Jesus walked on the earth, his life was hidden in God. He was a man walking on the earth who had perfect fellowship with us. He was the son of God, the, the firstborn of many. And he was modeling for us what our life is supposed to be like on this earth. He was the first expression of the kingdom of God. Pending those that are to come, which is me and you. He was that first expression, that first son, right? But you know why he was that way? Because Jesus knew that his life was hidden in God. And last week we were talking about how Jesus, all the time, he did this all the time, he always obsessed about talking about his father, right? My father, my father this, my father that, me and my father. Any place where he talked about himself, you will find him talking about his father, not far behind, about his father. Why? Because he knew that his life and who he is is hidden in God. Jesus dealt, just like you and I, with situations, circumstances, troubles, temptations, attacks. Whatever you go through, right? Whatever I go through, you name it, Jesus faced it. He dealt with it. Nothing that he didn't deal with. And he didn't cheat the system. He didn't deal with this like, oh, I know, I'm being tested. <laughs> okay, Ooh, oh, it's scary. And just pass it, you know. No, he dealt with it. He dealt with emotions, temptation. The only way you're tempted is when your flesh is enticed by those things. That's the only time you can call it temptation. James talks about that in James chapter 1. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He was tempted in every way, yet he never failed. Why? Because Jesus knew that these things that tempted him and the way his flesh and his emotions responded to these things was not who he was. He knew that who I am is hidden in God. I look like God. God is my father. So he always talked about his father, reminding himself where he is. And so that he would have the God's perspective and that caused Jesus to know himself. And because he knew himself, he understood and saw everything that had to do with him very clearly. Every situation, every circumstance. And he acted and reacted to every situation according to God's perfect will. And he was the perfect expression of the kingdom of God. And the perfect expression of what being a child or a son, a daughter of God means. Right? He 
modeled that for us. So now, that's why Paul tells us, he could have said, your life is hidden in God. But he, does, he didn't say it like that. He said, your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's saying, your life is hidden in God just as Jesus' life is hidden in God. Amen? Your life is hidden in God just as Jesus' life is hidden in God. So do what Jesus did. When Jesus walked on the earth, he made sure to only look at the things above, not things on the earth. That's why someone was dead. That kid, uh, who was dead? The, 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 uh, the girl that was dead. And Jesus said, he, she's sleeping. He was just seeing things in the spirit and saying, like, I'm about to raise her up. <laughs> now I'm not looking at things in the flesh. Right? Peter and them, they, they couldn't find any fish, fishing all night, professional fishermen. Jesus is not a fisherman. He just comes up and he's like, oh, just uh, throw on that side. Why? It didn't matter if he's not an expert in that area or whatever. He's like, I see things in the spirit. In the spirit, I see there's some fish over there. So put the, put, put the net over there. Everything he did, he did from a spiritual perspective. It didn't make sense. Oh, water? Oh, okay. I know. In the physical, I mean, the, the, whatever, the, the laws of physics dictate that this water will not allow me to walk on it. But I see it in the spirit, so I'm going to walk on it. That's what it led Jesus to, seeing that his life was hidden on God. And that's what is modeled for us. Amen? Now look at this. In verse 4, look at verse 4. Paul says, When Christ, he says, who is our life, appears. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, Christ is your life. And what he means is that Jesus, if you, if you, let me, let me, let me retract. If you ever wonder what your life looks like, because in verse 3, he says, for you died. He's saying that your old spirit, who you were, died. And now, you and your current life, your new man, is hidden with Christ and God. It's hidden, right? And so to that, we may answer and say, oh, wow, that sounds like really good news. But I have no idea what that means, right? Like, it's hidden. I can't see. I'm trying hard. What am I like? Okay, my life is hidden in God. Paul would say this to you in verse 4. He says, well, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will, then you will also appear with him in glory. But you don't have to wait until you're revealed. And, the, you know, when we're resurrected and, 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 and the new heaven, new earth. And, no, you don't have to wait till then. He says, when Christ, who is our life. What he means by that phrase is, Jesus Christ is the perfect expression of what your life looks like. He's not saying you don't have your own life. Jesus, Jesus is living it for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying Jesus is the perfect expression of what you look like. Because he's your older brother. Isn't that amazing? So like, if you ever wonder what you are like, just look at Jesus. And every single thing that he was like, you are completely like. In your own right. Does that make sense? In my own right. When I look at myself, what Jesus has done to me... Through being born again, I look exactly like Jesus looked and looks. Isn't that awesome? When Christ, who is our life, appears, he's saying he is the perfect expression of your life. Amen? Such a good word. Thank you, Lord. He says, when Christ, who is our life, so if you ever doubt what you look like, what do you do? You look at Jesus. Because Jesus looks like you. 
You look like Jesus. He is the perfect expression of what you look like now. Isn't that awesome? So, if you are hidden in God, and this is what we've been talking about for the past few weeks, if you are hidden in God, the only way that you're going to discover you is by going to God and spending time with God and, and inclining your ear to His voice. And then you begin to see what He sees. You, be, you begin to understand what He understands. And, and that what I mean by that is your physical mind, your, 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 your body here and your intuition here will begin to be aligned to God's perspective and to, to your real life and to what you look like. Amen? So I want to tell you guys to have a great opinion of yourself. Paul literally says when Christ is our life. And we tend to think of that to mean, like I was just saying, oh, Jesus, I mean, I'm, I'm so bad and I'm so horrible Jesus, you know, the life he lived, God just counts it as, as mine. And he just, Jesus is, you know, living it for me. And yeah, no, that's not what he's saying. He said, he says, Jesus is his own person, his own son, the first born, the firstborn of many, many individuals, right? So he, what he's saying is Christ is your life, meaning your life and who you are, what you look like is Jesus, He's the perfect expression. Amen? So this is such good news. What better news for a believer to hear than, oh yeah, you're just like, you're just like Jesus. You're, you remind me of Jesus. And I'm not saying when you're living your life right and doing everything good, and people are like, wow, you look like Jesus. No, even if you were doing everything wrong, I would look at you and say, um, don't look at the things on the earth, but look at the things above where Christ is. And so I won't look at what you're doing here in the flesh. I'll just look in the spirit, and I'm like, wow, that's what he actually is. Like, she's, she's annoying me in the flesh. This person is doing all sorts of horrible things. But when I look at her in the spirit, I see that she looks exactly like Jesus. She reminds me of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It frees us. It becomes much easier to forgive people, to have relationships with people, you know, that are, that are according to the will of God. Because you can see them in the Spirit. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, Therefore from now on, we don't regard anything according to the flesh, or anyone. And then he continues on to say, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All right, so this is what God's perspective looks like. Amen? So if you're looking at people who are troubling you, Sometimes you are tr troubling yourself. <laughs> your flesh. You're just like, I don't know what to do. I just, keep, I, I just keep sinning. I have these bad habits. Like, I don't pray. I don't do this. I, like, I don't know what to do. Like, you're just having horrible, you feel horribly about yourself. You know what the problem is? You've missed the point. You're not, you've become hidden to you, which shouldn't be the case. When he says our life is hidden in God, he means we're hidden to the world. The world does not know who we are. But you shouldn't be hidden to yourself, right? The only times we're hidden to ourselves is when we're not in God, when we're not focusing on God. If, if our attention went to God, then you're the, right there. We're like, oh, wow, I'm in the glory of God. The deeper you look into God's glory, you're gonna, that's where this place where you find yourself. Isn't that amazing? It's like, this is me. Amen?
This is me. So Paul, if, let's go back to Colossians chapter 3. After telling us, you've been raised with Christ, so don't look at things on the earth. Look above. Look at things according to God's perspective, right? After he, after he tells us, you've been hidden. You are hidden in, in God. He goes on to tell us this at verse 5. So I want you to, to look at the progression of this, this, cha this chapter and how, how it's moving forward, how it's progressing. He starts out by telling us you've been raised with Christ. You're spiritual. Stop looking at the things on the earth. Right? And after telling us this good news that Jesus is the perfect expression of you. If you don't know what you look like and you think, you know, I can't find myself, I don't know. Just look at Jesus. Read about Jesus and everything he is you are in your own right. Right? After telling us this amazing news, in verse 5, he says this. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on this earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetous, what is it? Thank you. Covetousness. Is that how you say it? Some of these uh, King James words, I don't know. Which is idolatry because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now, there are people who, who take this scripture and other scriptures like this in the New Testament where God is, well, where, 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 where you know, the writer is encouraging people to live right. And they take, it to, they take it as some sort of warning from God, right? As if God is saying, get this right or I'm going to kick you out of my kingdom. Get this right or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to curse you. I'm going to withhold blessings. And, and, and my, my, uh, you know, I'm, God is good, but God is also serious, right? These scriptures are misused. Out of, out of the good intent of trying to get people to live right. But, but, but people fail on the how to get them to live right. And that how, that method, is not even God's method at all. God has nothing to do with it. It's just people's misunderstanding of what God is actually like and what God has done. Look at the progression of this chapter. Paul tells you you are perfect. Your life is hidden in God. Dirty lives are hidden in God. God, God only takes in, as part of him, a perfect life. Amen? Jesus' life looks exactly like your life. That's who you are. After telling you, us this Paul tells us therefore all this sinfulness okay fornication which is basically sexual immorality uncleanliness passion evil desire all these things he says put them to death and he says because of these the the because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience now when you read that you might be like oh yes yeah, see sons we're all sons but they're sons of disobedience and the wrath of God is going to come upon you. Might be tempted to, to interpret that the scripture like that, but nope. The sons of disobedience are not the sons of God. They're literally the sons of disobedience. They've made disobedience and rebellion and sin their father. So that's talking about the world, people who are not saved. He says, don't do these sinful things. And then he tells us why God's wrath is upon the world and the sinners. He, he tells them it's because of their sins. Because of their rebellion, their disobedience, God's wrath is 
on sinners. It, it will be on sinners, and rightfully so. Because God is a defender of righteousness, right? If, if you had someone that was going around, some serial killer, killing people and all that stuff on the streets, what do you do? You see evil, you, you call the cops, and, and cops are like, I know, I, we don't, we don't want to arrest them. We don't want to, you know, like, let's just be nice. Let's love. Officer, get him. He's like, I don't know. Like, and they just go try to talk to him. Like, don't do that. Like, you know, no, that doesn't work. You go shoot that guy if you have to. It's called defending what is right, right? The sons of disobedience, that's how evil sin is to the kingdom of God. And God's wrath is justified. It's actually good. I'm happy that God has wrath. God's love and God's wrath are not two different things that we have to try to make them friends. There is the same thing. Amen? His love protects his beloved. It's, he's protecting us from evil, from every evil thing that is threatening his kingdom. Everything he loves, everything he's about. Amen? You see that? Now, he tells us these sinful things are the reason why God has wrath. And in verse 7, look at it, he says, in which these things, in which you Yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Once these things were your life. Not, you don't have God's life in you. You are a sinner. The old, this is talking about the old spirit, the old man that died. That old you lived in them. But now the old you is dead. But you still have this body that is being tempted by these things. Right? Earthly circumstances. And he listed sins here. But let's talk about other things that we might not think of as, as, as quickly. Things like fear, right? Things like, well, insecurity, which is basically fear. And every single thing that the world goes through that Jesus was tempted with as well, like I told you. But Jesus was obsessed with what? His father. Why? Because his father was his everything. And in his father, he was hidden and he knew that. And that right perspective caused him to overcome everything. Now, today, me and you are not the sons of obedience, disobedience. We are the sons of God. And our life is hidden in God. But we are being tempted by all these things. And, and obviously, the, the people, the, the Colossians, were, were struggling with these things. So Paul writes, and he doesn't say, guys, you guys are sinning. How dare you? God, oh, you better watch out. God's going to get you. That's not what he's saying. He says, you're raised with Christ. Good news, good news. He's causing, he's telling them good things about themselves so that, they will, so that they would overcome the bad habits and the bad things that they are walking out, the sinful things that they're walking out. He's saying, that's not you. Amen? Look at verse 8. He says, but now you, yourself are, you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. I mean, they were blaspheming. Look at that. Filthy language out of your mouth. Watch that. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Amen? He's saying don't do these things because the old man is gone. You've put him off. And now you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's who you are. Huh? Amen? 
the new man, the, this, this person that you are that's hidden in God. You look completely like God. That's what he's saying. He says, so sin doesn't make sense for you. Amen? So what I want to tell you today, guys, is have a great opinion of yourself. You have been highly complimented by God. He says, you look like me. So even when you sin and you're messing up and all things in your life look bad and people will judge you, God looks at you and says, hey, you look like me, so don't do that. And then you're like, okay, and you keep doing it. And he says, hey, you look like me, don't do that. And you keep doing it, he will keep doing it until you get it. He will keep telling you who you are until you get it. Or until you die and you go to heaven and you really understand who you are. Amen? Have a great opinion of yourself even in the midst of your weakness. Are you hearing me? Even, that's, the, <laughs> that's a perfect opportunity for you. When you find yourself in a place of weakness, in a place where you're just so disappointed, you don't know what you're going to do, you don't know how you're going to overcome, right? It could be sin, it could be sickness, it could be poverty, it could be anything that is not righteousness, peace, or joy, right? It could be anything outside of that. And you're like, I'm sick of this, I don't know, I'm stuck. That is your time to boast and take pleasure. Remember the message? This, the title of this message is Boast and Take Pleasure. Say boast. And take pleasure. So I want to tell you today, because of who you are and what God has to say about you, in the midst of the weakness, in that place where you're confused, I want you to rejoice. I want you to boast. God actually tells us to boast in the place of weakness, in the place of frustration. Are you frustrated with something in your life? Great if you're not. I want you to maybe think, maybe you forgot. Think about it. Things that made you go like, ah, oh, I don't know, man. Like, what? It could be you. If it's not you, which I will say, actually, somehow it will be. It's something that has to do with you. And if you're frustrated, it's because you don't have the right perspective anyway. So it's, your, it's something having to do with you. You're the one who has to fix something. But I want you to think of those things that are frustrating to you right now. This is what we're going to do. All right? Myself included. We're going to boast and take pleasure. Why? Because that's what God sees about us. He sees things that should cause us to boast. And he sees things that should cause us to fully and utterly just rejoice. And the only way you're going to rejoice is when you begin to see the real you that is hidden in God. And then you find something worth rejoicing over. The circumstance that you're facing, the sins that you're failing with every single day, the issues of life, they're not, they're not worth rejoicing over. So God is not telling you, I know it's tough, but fake a smile and rejoice. Come on, smile now. Say I'm, good. Say, I'm good. Say, I'm good. That's not what God is doing. He's saying, look 
Kier. There you go. Look, see that? And then you're like, and then your face just widens <laughs> while he's holding your face like that. The only reason you're frustrated is because you're looking at the wrong thing. Amen? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> and let's go to <clears throat> verse, verse 7. You guys there? Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7. All right. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And that word buffet it's not, it doesn't mean buffet. It's, it's old English to attack. How many of you ever feel attacked by the devil? This is Paul, he says, a messenger of Satan. And that's how usually the enemy will attack you, through a message, through a lie, to buffet you. Lest I be exalted above measure. Now look at this. In verse 8, Paul says, concerning this thing, and he's talking about this thing that he calls the thorn in the flesh. I like that. It's the thorn in the flesh, in the body. And, and that actually can be extended to your psyche as well, in your emotion, in your mind. Let me tell you, the devil can never attack you, the real you. Do you know that? The devil cannot buffet you. Because you are hidden in God. That's who you are. So no spiritual attack that you've ever faced in your life has ever come close to your spirit. It's all been flesh level. Isn't that amazing news? It's all been this body level. The Greek word, word is sarx, I believe. Flesh. Right? He's attacking your thoughts and emotions, which are part of that physical realm of you, about you. Now, he says, concerning this thing, Concerning this attack, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, I asked you earlier, is there something you're frustrated with, right? Sins that you're struggling. I was going to say sin you're struggling with, but it's probably sins. Sins that you are struggling with. Issues, sickness, lack, whatever it may be, just list it out. Relationship issues, fears, insecurities, confusion, right? Anything you're struggling with. Have you ever went to God and said, God, and pleaded with God and said, God, take this thing away from me? Ever done that? I have. That's what Paul is, is showing us here. He said, I went to God and I said, God, please help me. God, please take this thing away from me. I can't do it anymore. I'm tired of this. I'm trying, I'm trying so hard, but I can't, I can't seem to overcome it, Lord. Please, would you take it from me? Maybe he cried. We don't know. He doesn't tell us that. But look at God's response to Paul. 
and verse 9. The guys there, look at, look at verse 9. So Paul is praying to God, asking him, pleading with him to take this thing from him. The enemy's attacking me, Lord. I'm being tempted, Lord. Take it away. And in verse 9, Paul tells us what God says to him. And he said to me, he writes, My grace, say my grace. Say better, louder. My grace is sufficient for you. Hallelujah. He says, my grace, say my grace, is sufficient for you. Say it one more time. My grace is sufficient for you. And then he says this, and then God continues to say, For my strength is made and made perfect in weakness. So God tells Paul, Hey Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Or in other words, he says to Paul, Hey, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now let me, t- let, me, let me tell you this. Do you know what Paul is saying? Not Paul. Do you know what God is saying when he tells Paul, my grace? Let's just take those two words, my grace. Because God didn't take the thing away from him. This thing that was frustrating Paul, confusing Paul, right? He didn't take it away. He said, oh, no, Paul, my, my grace is sufficient for you, man. And that's what he's saying to you today. Whatever you're struggling with. God, I'm struggling with this sin. I don't know what to do with this stuff. And he says, my grace is... Do you know what he's saying when he says, my grace? When God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, he's saying to him, his, he, he's saying to him, listen, Paul, what I have done in you. That's what he's saying. The grace of God. The grace of God. Is everything that Jesus. Accomplished in you. That's what the grace of God is. So Paul went to God because of all these attacks on his flesh. Because the devil can never penetrate and come to him. So the enemy, let me tell you, the enemy's attacking your flesh. And you're pleading with God, like Paul. God, take it away. And God is saying, well, my grace is sufficient for you. You know what he's saying? He says, he's saying, what Jesus did to you, to your spirit, is enough for you. Why? I mean, what else do you need? His grace fixed everything. See, before, the enemy would have come to your spirit. But now, your spirit is above the touch of the enemy. Why? Because you look like God. That's that's the why. The real you is hidden in God. And, and, and Paul writes in Colossians 3, 4, Christ is our life. Or in other words, he's saying Christ is the perfect expression of your life and what you look like. So 
God is saying, what I've done in you through Christ, that's what my grace did. That is enough for you to overcome this weakness. Does that make sense? Paul is begging God to fix him, to take things away. God, God is responding back, back to him saying, my grace, what I did in you, is enough for you to overcome the weakness. And then he goes on to say, because my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Let me tell you, God is an optimist. God is an optimist. And he sees your weakness. He sees the weaknesses of your flesh. He sees the things that you're struggling with, the sins that you keep falling into. All these things to him, they don't cause him to say, oh man, like I'm trying so hard. Like I saved her and I saved him. Like they're born again. I'm trying, like I'm patient and I'm like, keep on loving. It's not working out. He, he never thinks like that. He's, he's always thinking and he's always seeing your weakness as an opportunity. God is an optimist. Amen? He's seeing your weakness. Every, and that, but when I say your weakness, I don't mean the real you. I'm talking about the weakness of your flesh. Right? Hello, Paul said, thorn in the flesh. Come on. Good word, right? He said, he's saying, it's not me. It's, the, it's in my flesh. This thing in my flesh. And he's seeing that weakness in your flesh as an opportunity to show off the perfect work his strength has done in you. He's seeing it as the perfect opportunity to show off the real you. Amen? In spite of the weaknesses of your flesh. Amen? Come on. He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now let me ask you another question. We define what my grace meant, right? My grace is everything that God accomplished in us through Jesus Christ. Now, what is his strength? He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. We might think when God says my strength, God is saying like, look at you, you little weak child of mine. Come here, I'm so strong. Picking you up and be like, everybody look. He's so weak. <laughs> he couldn't overcome that temptation. But I'm strong. That's not what he's talking about. His strength. Go with me. Let's go to 1 Peter. Let me show you what God's strength is. And this is a scripture that we talked about last week or the week before. 1 Peter chapter 1. Right? Book of First Peter. All right. Verse 3. Actually, no. Sorry, guys. It's Second Peter. All right. We're going to go to verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Right? As his divine power, say divine power, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, we talked about the scripture last week, right? 
we said God's divine power gave us everything that has to do with being like God. What gave that to us? His divine power. And last week we defined his divine power as the power that resurrected Jesus from death into life. And that's, that's all he did. His power is that power that took you while you were dead in your sins and said, I'm going to recreate you, make you new. That, he's talking about the power of the cross. Are you hearing me? The power of his love, the power of grace that snatched us up from death and made us the sons and daughters of God again. He did it once. He doesn't need to do it again. He rescued you once. That's why when Paul is going to God saying, God, take this thing away from me. God, God, God says to him, you don't need my rescue anymore. My grace, that rescue is enough for you. Is enough for you. What I did then is enough for you to overcome the storm in the flesh. Amen? And then he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he, what he's saying here is that his strength is the same strength. It's the divine power, the resurrection power that raised your spirit from death into life. And he's saying, that strength of mine that created you, made you perfect, that gave you everything that has to do with my kind of life, that gave you every quality in me. He's saying, it is the perfect, your, your weakness of your flesh is the perfect opportunity, bless you, for me to, sh to show that off. He's saying, the weakness of your flesh to you may be disappointing. You may be down on your knees crying. You just feel embarrassed. You just don't know how to overcome. You're just filled with bad habits, things you want to just fix about yourself. And you're like, I don't know, God. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, I just keep trying this. And it's so difficult. But he says, just have my perspective. This is the perfect opportunity for the life, your real life that's hidden in me. That is a byproduct of my grace and my strength to be clearly shown. Amen? Your new life will perfectly shine in the midst of the weaknesses of your flesh. This is why Paul goes on to say, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse, verse 9. Right after God responds to him telling him, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength, this, this strength of resurrecting his old spirit into God's kind of life is made perfect and is clearly seen in the midst of the weakness of your flesh. After hearing that from God, Paul says this, therefore, say therefore. therefore. Most gladly, he says, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. He's talking about, I will choose to boast while I'm seeing all the weaknesses of my flesh. While I'm seeing everything that's wrong with me, I'm not going to mope. You may be tempted to mope, but he says, that's not what God's want, God wants for me. It doesn't matter if you fail at whatever you failed at, literally 8,000, 9,000 times, and plus one, you just failed again. 
Your freedom from that thing starts the moment you choose to boast right in that place. I'm not just saying that. This is what the word of God teaches us. Paul says you need to choose to boast in my infirmities. He's literally saying like in my sickness. It could even be sickness that you're struggling with. And like instead of wondering why am I not healed and I'm God. Like literally we need to start boasting in the midst of things that are not making sense. Why? Because we have every reason to. Look at your life, not things on the earth. You have no reason to boast when you look at things of the flesh. You have reasons to be embarrassed, reasons to be depressed. So don't look at them. Look there. <laughs> don't look at this. Whenever Christians go through depression, it's, it's, it's not because they got issues. Everybody goes through issues and looks at situations. It's because they're looking at the issues. Don't look at the issues. Look at what God has done in you. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul saying, God, take this, this away from me. And, Paul, and God is like, Paul, look at yourself. God, I'm going through this. He says, look at yourself. <sighs> Paul is talking about issues that he's going through, and, and God is showing him, look at yourself. Because, like I said earlier, when you know the real you, then anything that has to do with you, you'll have the right perspective regarding it, and you will deal with it with the right perspective, and you will overcome. Amen? Praise God. So he says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. He says this, that the power of Christ, say the power of Christ. What's the power of Christ? It's the power of the cross. The power of Christ literally means the power of the anointed one that was anointed to cause me to be born again. That's what it means. <laughs> Amen. His power may rest upon me. Oh my God, when you choose to rejoice and to boast, right, in the midst of all the weaknesses because you're looking at the real you, you know what happens? The power of Christ, the power of salvation that caused this reality in your spirit will come and rest upon your body. Amen? When we choose to rejoice, and you're only going to rejoice when you have the right perspective, when you're there, you have, like, it's impossible for the same power that caused this perfection in your spirit, it's impossible for it not to come to your body. It will come. And you will find yourself overcoming. That throne will, that not throne, that thorn will fall off. Amen? And verse 10, he says, therefore, he got it. He got it quick. I don't know if he got it quick, but he got it. He says, therefore, I take pleasure. Say, I take pleasure. Please say it louder. I take pleasure. In infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. List anything else you want. In addictions, in temptations, in confusion, in bad attitudes, in selfishness, in anything that I see about myself that I hate. Do you hate anything that you see yourself doing, thinking, acting out? Yes, I do. I'm talking about myself. But you know what? In the midst of those things, I choose to take pleasure. Because like my father, I'm going to be an optimist and see every moment of my weakness as the opportunity for me to see the power of Christ that has changed the real me so that that power would come and free me, free my body, free my emotions from these things that I hate. 
He says, I do it all. You know what? He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. He says this, for Christ's sake. I hear people say, for Christ's sake. Forget, no, they use it in the wrong context. This one you can say, please, for Christ's sake. See what he has finished in you. Because he suffered for this. For you to be made like God and you're like God. And now you can walk like it too. Please, for his sake, see what he sees. For his sake. Let me tell you, please. This goes for my For Jesus' sake. For Christ's sake. Don't mope. Don't mope. Don't be despondent. Don't be discouraged when you see yourself going through things. When you see things about your, yourself that you hate. Know that that's not you. And have the right perspective. Amen? Because that's what he suffered. Even when you fail at it and you're like, oh, he's like, don't do it. He's like, I, I suffer so that even at this moment you'd be so happy. He doesn't want you moping and feeling guilty about your weakness. He wants you to rejoice in weakness. This is why it's called the gospel. The too good to be true news. It's mind blowing. It's like how you, like people tell you, you know, feel guilt, sorrow, be a little sad. No, rejoice, boast. Amen. So boast, say boast, and take pleasure. Rejoice while you're in your infirmities and, weakness, and your weaknesses so that the power of Christ, what he has done, will become a reality and rest upon your body so that your emotions are, become aligned and right. This is, this is essentially can be summarized as renewing your mind. We're just looking deeper into it according to what Paul went through here. Amen. This is how you overcome. Boasting and rejoicing while, while you feel weak. That's how you overcome. That's the first step. Not when you start yourself doing a little better, you rejoice. No, that means you're, you're probably trying to get better through your flesh. You know what I'm talking about? Just trying to feel better. You're like, I'm better now. I'm going to be happy. No. Don't try to do better. Rejoice because, you, because you're seeing the right thing. And then you will naturally see that power overtake your emotions, your thoughts. You'll begin to feel about yourself as God feels about you. You'll begin to see yourself as God sees you. Guys, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. The enemy is always trying to cause us to see ourselves and see others and see life in general. in the complete opposite way of what God sees us as. And that's the source of our problems. That's why we have fears. That's why we feel insecure, right? But if you see the way yourself the way God sees you, you'd boast. And this boasting is not sinful. Usually when people boast, they boast because they're insecure. So they try to make themselves look better than others. They try to appeal taller by making other people short. right? <laughs> by putting up, making other people feel small, they feel good. That's, that's, uh, that's perverse boasting. There's pure, holy boasting. That's seeing yourself the way God sees you. True confidence. Amen? Joy is how you overcome. And look at this. Paul, after he says, I take pleasure in my infirmities, weaknesses, needs, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. He says this. This is how he tops it off. This is the cherry on top, okay? He says this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <laughs> Confusing sentence. Confusing sentence unless you know the difference between your spirit and your body. Completely confusing. That's why people read this and they're like, the Bible makes no sense. 
God understand the context of who you are. He says all these things. And he says, you know what? I get it. This is what Jesus finished in me. And he says, for when I am weak. He's saying, when I feel weak, when I see everything about myself that I hate, all the sin, all the sickness, all the lack, whatever it is, at those exact moments, I am strong. I, the real me, the me that's hidden in God. So I don't care what you're going through. To be honest, I don't. You may be going through stuff, but I, let me tell you, I don't care. I am choose to see what God sees about you. And I'm going to tell you, you are strong. Please tell me the same. Tell me you're strong. I am strong. And I am happy right now because I, I know, I see all the things in my life that I can be disappointed about, that I can be depressed about. But I, this is speaking to me so much right now. Thank you, Lord. And he, God is telling me, my grace is sufficient for you. Don't you worry about it. You feel weak? Yeah, I do. God says, you are strong. <laughs> hey, Nacho, how do you feel? You're like, God, I feel weak. He's like, oh, but you're strong. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's what true prayer makes you leave you leaving like. It doesn't, it doesn't look like God says, you're weak. Yeah, and I'm strong. <laughs> No, God says, I make you strong. Hallelujah. God's strength is not for today for the believer. It's not for him to rescue you today. His strength was all about rescuing us while we were sinners. Today, God doesn't say, I'm strong and I'm going to come rescue. Today, God says, all you need is my word. You are strong. Hallelujah. He says, you are strong. Hallelujah. And joy is how you overcome. And I, and I want to leave you with this word. Be an optimist like your father. Amen? Be an optimist like your father. Say, I am going to be an optimist like my father. Come on. Like my father. You better say it. Bible says love hopes all things. I love that. He, it hopes all things. That's saying love is optimistic. You know? And who is love? God. God is optimistic. Amen? So look at your life. You have every reason to be optimistic. This is not a feel-good message. This is the word. This is what, I'm not the one preaching this. This has been preached. It's been spoken. It's the word. It's living. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Hallelujah. God, we thank you. We thank you that even when we feel weak, then, right then, we are strong. <laughs> even when we feel weak, even when things don't make sense, hallelujah, <laughs> we are strong. Father, thank you for this word. Because you are teaching us what we look like and who we look like and what we are like. Christ is my life. So even when I'm confused and I feel sinful and I feel weak and I don't know what to do, all I have to do is look at Jesus and be like, oh, Christ is the perfect expression of my life. The life that is hidden in God. Thank you, God. This is who we are. We believe it. And right now we speak powerful words powerful words 
your true words, the truths. We speak against every condition and circumstance that we are facing. We say, sickness, go. Tell it. Sickness, go. Say sickness, go. Confusion, go. Poverty, go. Addictions, go. Fear, go. Insecurities, go. Relationship problems, go. Family issues, go. Bad memories and situations, go. In the name of Jesus. Say, I am free. I am free. I am perfect. I am an overcomer. I have overcome. I have conquered. There is nothing that can hold me down. There's nothing that can defeat me. My flesh will be. My flesh is the perfect expression of my spirit. Yes. We are making our flesh and our bodies and our thoughts and our emotions the perfect expressions of our spirits and the perfect expressions of the God's will and his kingdom. Father, we thank you for what you have done in us. We thank you for your word. We hold on to this truth and we are not moved. We love you, Abba. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.